good night. Hello, cocktail lovers. Welcome to Paris Cocktail Talk, the show brought to you by the 52 Martini's Guide to Paris Cocktail Bars. I'm Forrest Collins, and I'm here to talk to you about cocktailing in the French capital and bring you other small batch spirits news from France and beyond. Regular listeners will know that we had David Leibovitz on the show about a year ago, and you're probably already likely familiar with his work. He's got eight well-known and much-loved books under his belt, um, so he's pretty much a household name around here now. Um, the first books are, the first seven of the eight are cookbooks. The last one of that batch is La Parte, which is a story about his buying an apartment here in Paris. And now we've got him on the show because we are going to talk about a subject that is very close to my heart because his new book coming out is called Drinking French. And it's a book that celebrates um, the the drinking culture in France, Um, cafes, um, iconic cocktails, aperitifs, uh, not just alcoholic drinks. I believe that there's some focus on hot chocolate and different things that you might drink in a cafe. So it's a very exciting topic, and I'm really happy he's here to talk to me about it. Thanks for coming down, David. Thank you, and what a great introduction. (laughs) <laughs> well, it's easy when my guests are so wow. great. Um, so, well, why don't you, um, I've seen parts of the book, but I haven't seen the book yet in mm-hmm. full. Why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about it, um, kind of get them oriented? Okay. Well, the book is about the drinking culture of France. Some people are saying, oh, it's a cocktail book or it's um, a cafe book or whatever. Um, it's actually about the whole culture and tradition of how French people drink. Um, what they drink and recipes, how to recreate those at home. Um, it, as you know, living in France, um, drinks are really important. You know, food is very important too, but drinks are just as important. And they go, especially uh, nowadays, because there's so many, so much uh, uh, focus on spirits, uh, France, uh, made in France, what's from here. Um, and I think people around the world are sort of looking to France because. There's strong traditions here, and the world has changed so fast, a lot of stuff has happened. And it's sort of reassuring to have like a glass of French wine, or people want to have the French lifestyle. Um, that said, of course, we've had a bunch of strikes and you know a lot of unrest recently. <laughs> but however, you know, even during the strikes, you'd see all the strikers go to a cafe afterwards and have wine and laugh and talk and drink beer and so forth. So it's very much part of the French culture to have something to drink. And I really wanted to explore that because um, it was something that I just find fascinating. And I thought that it also needed to be explored and shared. Yeah, I agree. And I think that um, it's a really interesting topic to dive into because I think so many people outside of France and maybe even inside France, they think, oh, France, wine. And they kind of, they don't realize some of these other interesting aperitif Mm -hmm. um, traditions that are going on and, you know, this sort of renewed interest in cocktails and and some of the historical cocktails. So so it's great. It's not just um, something that gives people something traditional to look towards, but also, I think, you know, introduces people to another right. aspect of, of France. So Francophiles might, you know, learn something even more about a place yeah. that they know and, and already love. So. Well, one thing that you know more than you know, more than a lot of people is that a lot of cocktails were invented in France. Um, French people don't know that, and a lot of Americans don't. They just assume the Bloody Mary is American or British or the sidecar, um, the Boulevardier, all these drinks were invented in France. And especially um, this culture also makes a lot of ingredients, all these vermouths, aperitifs, spirits, liquors. You know, you go to a region and you find these things you don't see anywhere else. But France is also exporting things all over the world, chartreuse, Grey Goose vodka, Citadel gin, Ferrand de Cognac. 
So we're very fortunate here. <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely true. It's something that I've always felt fortunate myself for living in France and being interested in cocktails is that French ingredients are so much a cornerstone of of the cocktails that I'm interested in, the sort of craft cocktails, your cognac and and these things like these mm -hmm. liqueurs and these, uh, you know, exactly like um, chartreuse and and such. So so yeah. So I think we're well placed for people who <laughs> like to read and 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 learn and actually drink drinks. Um, We've, I think I brought this up when we talked before, but didn't really explore it with you. Um, I want to talk a little bit specifically about cocktails. You've got a background in, as, as a baker, right? Right. So I think maybe there's some similarities between cocktails and baking. Can you speak mm. to that? Do you agree, disagree? And if so, oh, Absolutely. Expand. In fact, uh, the idea, one of the ideas from the book was that I was at a bar in Paris and I was watching the person mix a drink. And then I, they handed it me and I drank it. And I was like, they actually do what I do. They mix, you know, different ingredients to create something else that still tastes like those ingredients, but is better. So you have something, um, you have once again, like the Boulevardier, it's three ingredients, but you put them together, you know, you have this bitter and then sweet and then sort of almost smoky, woody flavor, and you've got something amazing in your mouth. And it's, and when it hits you, it's just perfect. And I thought that's exactly the same way bakers work. And I wanted to do that. I wanted to write about that. I wanted to experiment with cocktails, invent cocktails, use classic cocktails, riff off classic cocktails. Um, and one thing that really surprised me, um, I don't have a lot of cred in the cocktail world. You know, I'm just some, you know, dorky guy that goes into a bar. You know, I'm the, the person they probably don't want, the 60-year-old guy who's, you know, who's not dressed very well or, you know, not very hip. Um, but all these bartenders were really into me. Um, and they really took to me and they gave me a lot of advice. They took me under their wing. They shared recipes for the book um, and had bartending lessons. And it was great. It was great meeting all those people. Yeah, it's nice. It's nice to have that opportunity. And I feel like um, for me personally, I feel like as an observer of the cocktail community, that goes in waves. And I think when it was first sort of exploding, it was this real sense of community. And then it got a little mm -hmm. big for its britches. And I think now we're seeing a really... Um, a really welcoming new generation of bartenders coming in as well, who I think mm -hmm. are really kind of back to that original spirit of let's um, let's work together, let's share information, yeah. let's not be so um, proprietary about everything, mm -hmm. and you know, hopefully that. Also, it's it's called the hospitality industry Absolutely. because it's, it's to make people feel welcome, and that's a sign of a good bartender, someone who greets you, someone who. You know, they don't have to smile and be your best friend, but they're there to prepare a drink that you're going to like and make sure you have a good experience. For sure. Um, so that also, uh, what you were just talking about, brings me to something else I wanted to talk to you about, which is how did you go about researching the book? I mean, it was sort of a, a semi-new territory mm -hmm. from what you've written about before. So mm -hmm. tell me a bit, a little bit about that experience. Well, it's, it's semi-new, but it's also familiar because living in France for so right. long, um, I'm familiar with French culture, um, going to places. You know, the best way to learn about something in France is to go there. If you want to learn about Calvados, go there. You want to learn about Chablis, go there. You'll learn. In a weekend, you know, you're not going to be an expert, but you're really going to see it. So I decided I was going to go to all these places and learn about them. I was going to go to Dolan Distillery in the Alps. I was going to go down to Neuilly Pratt. I was going to go to Chartreuse in the Alps um, and so forth and go visit Calvados and see how they're made and learn um, and transmit that experience, in those experiences rather, in the book. Um, and I learned a lot uh, just talking to people. Um, you know, everything in France, as you know, has a history, you know, even, you know, a cup of coffee at a bar, you know, you can mention there's 10 different cultural references standing at the bar, having a cup of coffee in France. Right. 
So every bottle, like a bottle of Dolan Vermouth, it's not just a bottle of booze. You know, there's there's a 150-year history in there, so or 120-year. Um, and what was interesting when I was talking to the founder, he was showing me the, the original recipes that were written with like a quill pen and um, a super nice guy. And he said, you know, it's interesting because a lot of there's a lot of discussion about women, um, women's you know, not getting enough credit in the world or, you know, not not being um, represented right. as much as they should be. And he said, this company was actually run by women for most of its life. And his wife actually is the owner of the, co- the family, um, the company. So, you know, those kind of discoveries were interesting. Going to Chartreuse, to the monastery, um, you know, meeting monks, you know, <laughs> seeing the yeah. monks walking around. And they're supposed to it's take a vow cool. of silence, but yeah. they're really nice. Um, we had, you know, and they, this woman told me about this chocolate maker, and she makes chocolate at this lit laboratory or kitchen next to her house. She picks all the herbs from outside, and she was amazing. So all that stuff was so great. Yeah. Well, what I find nice about a lot of researching things like that is, is it is, it's not just interesting to see how something's made and appreciate the product, but it really does take you into a lot of uh, appreciating France and, and the history of France and something else that you brought up, something that I just to circle back to quickly. Um, so yeah, I find it interesting that um, the company was founded by women, but I also find that there's um, been historically champagne houses that were predominantly run by women mm-hmm. and also um beer back in the day was kind of a women's task. So um, any, just interesting mm-hmm. that I think historically women have been more involved in the in the spirits and mm-hmm. alcohol industry than maybe they are now. Maybe that's changing. I don't know. It's a discussion for another time and possibly next month's. You know, I worked in professional kitchens my whole life since yeah. I was 16 years old, um, you know, for probably 30 or so years. And I've always worked for women and with women. So... I don't have any... Do you think that's an anomaly or do you think you just, you know, that just chance or coincidence or you just liked women better or... Um, well, that would be a surprise. <laughs> but you know what I mean? We're in a professional capacity? Um, you know, I think women are very sensible um, in terms of taste, flavors. They have much more sensitivity to things. And that might be just sort of my imagination. Um, but I think, you know, I've worked for Alice Waters at Chez Panisse. Um, she was very sensitive to different flavors and textures and how food tastes and the experience. And if you go to Combat Bar here in Paris, which is owned by Margot Le Champontier, yeah, which Le is a great bar, yeah, which is a great bar, you walk in there and she's, you feel like you're um, eating eating her dining table in a way. The way they serve you, the counter's low. She's very, she's you know, she's not leaning over the counter to like you know hug you and you know you know, throw confetti in the air, but she's going to make you a really good cocktail and serve it like somebody who is, would be making you dinner would do. Yeah. Um, Yeah, no, I think that's true. And I've also, I don't know, it's hard to speak to my experience because I've tried so many drinks from so many different bartenders (laughs) and I might feel just more of an affinity with, you know, sort of women bartenders like Mm -hmm. um, Margot or Amanda, who used to be at Padalou, who's not in Paris anymore, whose um, palate I also really appreciated. Um, but yeah, you know, I have read a lot of um, studies that say that women do have a more sensitive palate. I don't know. I'm not think, a food scientist, yeah. but yeah. I've read a lot that, that indicate that. And, you know, it could just be sensibilities as well. I mean, not mm-hmm. like physically your mouth, uh, the science of the palate, but maybe sensibilities. I don't well, know. Also, I live, having been a line cook, you know, a very intense situation, uh, you know, sitting there, you know, cooking high, high intensity in a restaurant. The women I worked with had a lot less ego than the men. Um, and that's not, that's sort of a generalization, but 
Yeah. That was sort of my experience. So I think women do make very good wine tasters. Um, you know, the best way to taste anything, to appreciate anything, was with an open mind. Sure. If you come and go, oh, I'm not going to like that bourbon. I don't like bourbon or I don't like whiskey or, you know, I hate red wine. It's like, you know what? Taste it. Have an open mind. Yeah. I think that's always good advice to have an open mind um, for sure. Uh, so in the course of your research and over the past several years, kind of diving deeper into the world of French drinking, any other interesting discoveries that you made or things that surprised you? One thing that really discovered uh, was really interesting for me was to learn about vermouth in France because people associate it with Italy. Yeah. And actually there's a lot of discussion that it's actually from Greece. Like the original ones were maybe, you know, adding herbs to wine, could have been, you know, who knows. But Italy, it was sort of, um, you know, that's where it was perfected in a way. You know, Turin was, you know, sort of the epicenter for, or is the epicenter for vermouth. But France has a very strong vermouth culture as well. People don't drink it like they, you know, they don't drink French vermouth in cafes. They drink Martini and Rossi, right. which is kind of interesting. They don't, you know, drink French vermouth. They don't drink Dolan or Noilly Pratt in cafes unless you're in those towns. Um, but that was kind of surprising to me to learn about the vermouth culture. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. it's, I, I also remember being surprised by that and that, uh, you know, I can find Noilly Pratt when I go to the grocery store here, but you don't find Dolan. I have to kind yeah. of go out of my way to find it. And I find that sometimes my American friends, when they come over and, you know, they see yeah. whatever bottles I have, um, you know, they ask, oh, do you have Dolan? Because yeah, everybody really likes yeah. that vermouth. And, oh, no, I don't. Because, you know, I was too lazy to go trek across town to get it. You know, mm-hmm. it was easier to get the Noali Pratt, which was at the store right next to me, which I also, you know, I like that as well. So so I do mm-hmm. think that that's um, interesting. And, yes, Martini is ubiquitous. It's everywhere. It's in yeah. every cafe. And you can find the red and the white and the green usually another pretty much everywhere. Another surprise for me was I met, and I know you know him, Matt Sabah. Oh, yeah. He's great. Yeah. He's got some really great products. He's, yes. He's great. He's a, a, a distiller who goes right. around the country and parks in villages and distills things that people bring him. And I met him, and I spent a day with him distilling. And I'm, I'm still, it's been about a year, and I'm still, like, shocked, like, how cool that day was. Yeah. He's great. Um, I actually would like to get him on the show. Uh, he and I have done some in the past, some some apparel like uh, mm-hmm. some apparel events together. And yeah, he's got a lot of knowledge, and he's doing some really interesting stuff right now. So yeah, he made lunch for me. Yeah, he made duck confit on the still. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, we had eau de vie, and it was a really great day. And you know, those kind of discoveries were so interesting. That's why I love writing books, especially single subject books, because you really get to explore one subject. You know, you and I had a day in Paris where um, I asked you to, let's go around and look at some of the, you, this, you know, let's yeah. go to the liquor stores and yeah. see what's there. That was a great day. Yeah. And, you know, you probably learned a few things. For I sure. learned probably twice as much as you because you knew more than me. But, you know, we were both open to the experience. Yeah. And it was really interesting talking to people. So I love, that's the best part about writing a book. Yeah, I agree. I, I like that about researching anything. It's also what I like about doing the the show. I was just mm-hmm. thinking about that when I came in here. I thought it's going to be great to talk to you, but I'm really excited to talk to, you know, any guests that I don't know that you know where I can mm-hmm. learn more about their subject and just get to get to know people more and learn a bit more. Um, so after you've do, been doing the research, you've made a few discoveries. Do you feel like researching the book and writing the book has changed the way that you approach your drinking here in France? Yes. Tell me about that. Well, one thing I had to, because I'm not a spirits expert, I had to learn a lot of stuff. 
Um, I knew every, you know, I knew a lot, you know, I knew about chartreuse. I knew, I know wine, um, but I really wanted to explain these things to people and I needed to know more. I wanted to know more. So that helped me become a better drinker because I knew what I was drinking. Yeah. Um, you don't have to know, you know, what Bonal is to enjoy it. But if you know what it is, you're like, oh, this was, you know, originally a, an herbal, you um, uh, medicine kind of thing that you, or chartreuse used to be, you know, people used to brush their teeth with it. So those kind of things, when you learn them, you're like, oh, and then you make a drink and you appreciate it so much more. Yeah. So those are things that I learned. Um, I also learned how to really appreciate French cafes because I spent, you know, some time talking about them and writing about them, like what makes them so special. Yeah. And why people come to France, like it's not really something that exists anywhere else like it does in France. Yeah. What do you think? What do you think makes them? I'm sure it's in the book. Sorry, but uh, no. do you want to share a little bit right now about? I mean, I think they're special, but I think they've kind of they haven't received the they get some attention, but not maybe the type of attention f- mm-hmm. for what I think they deserve at the moment. I, but I don't know. Maybe well, I'm a, well. First of all, there's so many. You know, yeah, that's in, the problem. There's Paris, so many, and you know, there's ten on every corner. Yeah. When I travel to other cities, I'm like, where are all the cafes? Where do people go? Like, I want to have a drink, but I don't want to like go into a bar or something. Yeah. It's like in the afternoon. I just want to sit down and you know maybe use the restroom or something. <laughs> so I started really to appreciate what cafes mean to French people. Um, you know, they're sort of the living room for everybody. It's mm-hmm. places where people meet and hang out, um, not necessarily to engage with each other. Sometimes they don't, um, but sometimes um, they do. Um, but I was real, when I moved here, I remember being so surprised that I would see people sitting at a table with a drink. And this is before telephones and nothing. They were just sitting there and they would sit there for an hour. And I was like, how do they do that? That's, I know. It kind of freaks me out just imagining yeah. that right now. Look like, on your face. <laughs> yeah, I was like, no, nothing. And, and I try, I'm trying to spend more time and, you know, not constantly on the phone mm-hmm. when I'm with a person. I feel like, okay, got to put that under the table. Just be with the person, but by yourself. Ooh, well, the French really think about things. Yeah. Like they think, and we do too, but I'm always thinking like, oh, do I have any email? Do I have an yeah. email? Is I have a message? Like what's on Instagram? Yeah. So it's very interesting to sort of slow down. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good, I think that's a good way to have your drinking habits change to mm-hmm. appreciate more what's around you and appreciate, you know, I find more and more I am, I spent a period of time kind of looking for something that wasn't immediately available in France, which were cocktails. But now I'm really kind of making this return to really appreciating these real like strong traditions in France, which I think are coming more to the forefront again and being mm-hmm. and becoming better overall appreciated and also in some cases improving in quality and kind of coming back to like realizing themselves their value and their worth and not just kind of, you know, we're just this cafe corner, corner cafe. Well, one thing I also learned was to pace yourself and that's how I drink now because in America, you know, happy hours, five o'clock, six o'clock, you have a couple cocktails and it's like, oh my God, it's 830 and I'm home and what do I do? Whereas French people start drinking and this is not a bad thing, but you know, maybe five or six o'clock. And they prolong it. You know, they drink, you know, for a few hours. They have dinner, drinks. Then they might drink later. You know, I live in the 11th. And every night of the week till 11.30 or 12, the bars are full. The cafes are full. People drinking beers, young people having wine. So I've learned to drink sort of for the long game, not the short. (laughs) Yeah, which is why it's nice we've got kind of these low ABV and aperitif options coming in. I do really find that, though, it's something that always uh, is kind of a marked difference for me when I am back home, especially if I'm visiting friends in Seattle. 
versus here. I'll be there and they'll say, let's meet for a drink. I'll meet you at five. And yeah. <laughs> I would never be able to get a French person to meet me at five ever right. unless it was for coffee on a Saturday. But, but you the, know, the, and the bars wouldn't even be open to have a drink here at five, except the cafes. But the flip side of that is in America, they have like happy hour. It's like all drinks, $4. Yeah, You're for like, sure. $4 <laughs> for a cocktail. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. Okay. Yeah. Four o'clock it is. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's happy hours here, yeah. but. It's always um, beer. But yeah, it's always beer or some kind of weird cocktail that I don't necessarily spritz. want. Yeah. yeah, or spritz. I don't knock the spritz. No. I've liked the spritz for a long time, but you know, I kind of feel like, all right, people, you discover something else. I feel like the the fact that everybody's drinking spritz now makes me feel like they're not exploring a lot of things. They're just drinking what's kind of being heavily marketed and subsidized at the moment. But I do like spritz. I'm not knocking it. Um, well, the interesting thing about the spritz, and that also tells you something about French culture. You know, the company spent a lot of money uh, marketing this drink to France, sure. and French people picked it up with a passion. You know, they, as you know, before they were into mojitos, and that was probably backed by a marketing campaign it was. from the rum company, yeah. the rum company, um, and everybody started drinking mojitos. It became really cool. And then the Aperol Spritz came around, you know, cafe tables had ads on them and so forth. And, you know, it's a good drink. Mm -hmm. I, I discovered them when I was in Italy years ago. I was like, what is that? What's this orange fizzy drink? It, oh, it's good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now I sort of drink, I actually put French bitters in mine. I use Dolan Red uh, Bitters, which you can't get in America, but you can get other bitters. Yeah. Um, you know, Campari is kind of intense, Aperol, not everyone likes Aperol, so... Um, you know, they're not bad things. It's just a personal choice. Yeah. Well, and I think the nice thing about a Campari or Aperols specifically is they sort of usher in this thing, which opens the door for more um, more products to come in. You know, more mm -hmm. more demand for them means that smaller other companies can also come in and, you know, develop yeah. their own bitters, which, you know, there's other ones out there that are they're good and worth trying. And that's what actually a lot of people complain about Starbucks coming in in America. And I was like, well, you know what? They elevated the bar for all these other companies then to come in, they got people used to ordering specialty coffees. Yeah, definitely. So all these other cafes open because of Starbucks. Yeah. Well, I think it's like, it's like a lot of things. Once, once something becomes so big or mainstream, it's kind of like, oh, that was, you know, that specialty mm -hmm. coffee was my thing. But now that Starbucks took it all over the world. But, um, yeah. Uh, also, I want to touch, I think we're getting close to, to end of time, so I want to get a few more things in here. Sure. Um, so you have aperitif snacks in your book as well at the end, mm -hmm. correct? Mm -hmm. So these are uh, um, recipes that you've made up to go with uh, aperitifs? Exactly. Or, okay, great. Um, because, you know, in France, people, as you know, people love to drink, but they love to eat just as much, if mm -hmm. not more. So there's always something to eat when you're yeah. drinking. Um, and it might be a bowl of popcorn in a cafe, you know. Yeah, but I think that's lovely. Yeah. And I'm so glad you did that because it's one of the things <clears throat> that I appreciate most about the drinking culture here. And I do these sort of, at home, I do these kind of, every couple of months I do a, a cocktail hour at my house. And there's always a snack that matches the drink. Don't worry, you'll be invited to one. <laughs> now that <laughs> um, you've mentioned it on the air, you, you have I, to invite you, me. <laughs> you're coming. Don't worry, I've got you on the list for one of the next ones. But um, but yeah, it's always just where, you know, there's a, a cocktail featured and then a little snack to go with it. And I just love it. I just mm -hmm. really love I love aperitif culture. I love the art of the apero. And so I'm super excited to read mm -hmm. your, your aperitif snacks. That's, it's, yeah, I'm, well, it goes I'm with very it. excited. The whole chapter on aperitifs, because that's that's sort of the way I like to drink a lot of times. You know, having a Kia Royale, 
and just nice to have something to eat. You know, some, yeah. sometimes they have something sweet in them. And you know, I don't like sweet drinks per se, but you know, a Kier might have some creme de cassis in yeah. it. It's just slightly sweet, you know, super slightly. Um, so it's nice to have something salty. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I very much now, like, <laughs> smile on my face. I'm looking forward to it. I will. I yeah. Anyway, it might be, that will be featuring my cocktail hours. I'm sure some of those snacks. Um, so we've been talking about the book. Can you tell listeners when and where they can get the book? Oh, okay. Well, Drinking French is going to come out March 3rd in the U.S. However, if this airs before them, February 27th. I'm going to be doing an event at W.H. Smith in Paris. Um, I'm going to be doing a book signing and a talk about French aperitifs, liquors, spirits, and cafe drinks. Okay. So that people in France get a a preview of the book. And then I'm going to be doing a book tour in the U.S. for two months and then coming back to France and doing some more events here. Um, The book is available from your favorite independent bookstore. You can pre-order it now or wait till they get it in stock. Um, You can also order it online from Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, or Book Depository, which actually ships around the world for free. Oh, that's good to know. Actually, very good to know, not just for this, but for any other books. So um, I will put links, listeners, to – I will put links in the show notes for where you can get that and where you can um, kind of follow along. What cities are you hitting on your U.S. book tour? Do you know? Lots and lots of them. Too many to say? Um, Hasn't been completely determined yet, but San Francisco, of course. Okay. That's my – it's like the number number one city for me in book sales. Um, Los Angeles. Uh, probably be in New York. I'm trying to get to Chicago. I'd like to go to New Orleans, oh, um, yeah. Seattle, hopefully Portland, because um, I became friends with Jeffrey Morgenthaler. Ah, uh, yeah, and, you should get out there. Yeah, him and I, I sort of, he has a bunch of stuff in my book. I was like, I'm going to give you co-author status. Ah, uh, <laughs> yeah. He's at Clyde Commons for listeners who are, yeah. are not familiar with his work. He's a great bartender. Yeah, and he's one of like the cool people in yeah. the cocktail industry, like the real deal. Yeah, he's been um, doing it for a long time. He's got a good blog. I'll put a link to his blog in the show notes as well. Yeah. He's got a book out too. So. And he has bar book is yeah. actually the best bar book. Yeah. I read it sort of after I wrote my book. Um, and I went, I was like, oh, he... It's of, very comprehensive. Yeah. It's what you need to know if you're kind of stepping into the industry. And it's good. Yeah. Yeah. So those sound like good stops. Uh, before I say goodbye, um, do you want to share a cocktail with our listeners? We like to give a cocktail of the month. Okay. So I know that you've got something in mind to share with us. Well, one cocktail that I really liked in the book, um, it was the chocolate old-fashioned. Um, and people think of chocolate drinks and they think, oh my God, the 80s, chocolate martinis, you know, martini glasses, um, you know, vodka and so forth. Um, and like, Ooh, I don't like sweet drinks. Um, I don't really like sweet drinks either. Um, but you do need some sweetness to balance. But chocolate's actually not a sweet ingredient. So one of the great things that's happened in the last two years is cocoa nibs have become available. So I have a whole chapter on homemade infusions in the book. So one of the recipes is homemade creme de cacao. So you can actually make your own Mm, creme de cacao with cocoa nibs. Um, It's less sweet than the stuff you buy, um, you know, already bottled. And it's real. It doesn't taste like artificial flavors. So this old-fashioned is great because it's got some of that homemade creme de cacao, or you can use store-bought if you want, Um, some bourbon, which is sort of becoming popular in France. Mm -hmm. It's it's interesting. Um, And I I was recently in Kentucky, and I like bourbon, but I decided I like it more now. (laughs) (laughs) It often works that way with spirits, the more you get to know them. And then a dash of chocolate bitters. You know, it's a simple sort of old fashioned and it's not a, um, it's not a, you know, it's not a full tumbler of of booze, 
but it's enough to make you feel good. Mm-hmm. And you've got this sort of sort of whiskey, oaky, woody, smoky chocolate flavor. Um, and it's got a candy cherry in it. Just oh, nice. a little bit of contrast. Good. I like the sound of that. I like old fashions, especially in the winter and on the weekends yeah. and kind of, you know, when we're just spending some time around the fire and kind of trying to be cozy in the winter. So I'll be giving that one a try. Can I ask you a question yes. about old fashioned? Yes. Rye or bourbon? What's your... Uh, I Well, bourbon. <laughs> I like rye for a lot of mixing other things. Like mm-hmm. I prefer rye in my Matt Hunt, but I really like bourbon in my old fashions. But, you know, I think mm-hmm. it's a pretty personal yeah. choice. What about you? Um, I used to be a rye guy and then... I started drinking bourbon too, and I realized that that sort of woody sort of sweetness works mm-hmm. really well in certain drinks. I think it, I agree. So, I think it works well fashion. in an old fashioned. I think there's a spiciness to the rye that I like in other drinks, but um, and sometimes yeah. I'll go to a bar and get a uh, you know a, a bourbon on the rocks. Yeah, where I wouldn't get a rye on the rock. It's a little too uh, heavy duty. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. All right. Well, and it's hard to get rye in France. Yeah, I had to go to you it know, bourbons. You can buy some in the supermarket. It's not you know you can get four roses. Yeah, um, which is perfectly decent. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's actually good. I, mean, I shouldn't say it's perfectly decent. I say it's a good. It's, good. it's a good bourbon. Yeah, I have that home on, on my shelf. Um, yeah, for the rye, it always pains me a little bit too because you know, like I like Rittenhouse, um, Rittenhouse mm-hmm. one hundred. Uh, it's a great go to. It's great to mix with. But when you buy it here, it's so much more expensive than when you buy it in the States. Yeah. It just kind of makes me go, oh, what I do, I buy it to have it on my bar and, and, and some other things. But you're right. I, it's tough to find. I had this um, bourbon, a uh, rye rather, that was made in Salt Lake City last time I was in the States called yeah. High West. Oh, oh. oh, that rye was great. That sounds familiar, High West, but yeah. I might be thinking of. They're making a single malt whiskey too now, which is very interesting. Ah, um. I'm, I think I'm confusing <laughs> that. There's something called. West, uh, what's the, there's a distillery in Washington that's making a single malt as well. (laughs) And I think it's got West in the name. I've been there. Anyway. All right. We're going to wrap this up. I brought some bottles back so you can come over and taste them. Oh, yay. I think we have a lot of good plans in the future all around some cocktails and tasting and book signing. I'll definitely come to your book signing. I'm very much looking forward to that as well. So um, I think for now we've covered it all. So thank you. We haven't covered it all, but we've covered all we have time for. Um, thank you very much for coming down. I really appreciate you taking the time well, and always love having, talking to you. Thanks for having me on. Uh, and um, <laughs> also listeners, you should know and be very excited about the fact that for next month's show, David's coming back because he's going to help me co-host. So um, so stick around for next month's show. We'll come back for next month's show and, uh, <laughs> and you'll get us both again. So um, uh, thanks again to David. Additional thanks to World Radio Paris for editing and production. Um, also, you know, they're doing a great job. They're a nonprofit organization. Go support them. Go like their Facebook page. Um, thank you to Emily Dilling of Perry Paysan for show notes and web assistance. Thank you to Sun Little for the music we use. I'm going to put links in the show notes to all these people and the things that David and I talked about. As usual, please remember to drink responsibly. And as I always say at the end of the show, just one little like request. If you like what I'm doing, please go and leave a review. It um, kind of helps give me feedback. It helps people find the show. It makes me feel like I'm not just sitting here talking to myself and David. And, uh, you know, I don't want to just be shouting into the void. So, so give me a sign that you're listening. And um, otherwise, cheers until next month. Oh,